Which way do you want to go? Up. Yeah? Do you have a normal sort of dog walking route? I mean, it's sort of changed because a few times I went up to the fields recently and it was so busy and our kind of route you're going to have to excuse the dog walking across you everywhere you go he will be in your <laughs> okay. way yeah it was so busy and people running so i got a little bit stressed by that so i i literally started going up the hill and back down again but i go out to clissold park in the mornings okay but again dodging round. it's like playing a video game you know you're coming to the entrance to the park and you're saying okay there's someone coming from the left yeah got to dodge around this tree totally hold it for a beat Hello. how about you are you a runner or a i've got a i bought a road bike which i've been enjoying my brother-in-law is a very sort of mad cyclist so um i go with him we got lost in hertfordshire a couple of days ago which was was quite fun how brilliant we managed to find our way home eventually but um oh my god yeah i've really been enjoying that oh, at least it's quite flat i suppose yeah it's pretty flat yeah Bit of it running. is nice out there, isn't it? It surprised me. And once you get sort of beyond Barnet yeah. and Potter's Bar and all that, and I was like, oh, wow, this is the countryside. And it's as weird. I remember it. <laughs> I have a friend who keeps a horse up in Barnet. Right. And I went up there one time to ride from the stable, and she was like, yeah, you go up the A1, da-da-da-da, turn up. And you just can't believe how quickly you get into total countryside from yeah. one minute you're in London, in the city, and then... Are you a Londoner? It's lovely. Were you, were you born here? I wasn't. I was born in Hampshire. Okay. So I had a very country upbringing. Boarding school in the country. And then I went to school in London. My parents took pity on me being so bored in the countryside yeah and never looked back really so they moved to london or you no, or no. just you i went to school in harley street oh yeah odd though that was is um same school as amber rudd in fact there you go <laughs> yeah no my parents very much country people by that stage um but you said you moved to the area 20 years ago yeah i suppose um I grew up in the countryside as well, and then, um, and also went to a boarding school. I sort of always had this feeling from around about 13 that I really just wanted to move to London. I just had this feeling that London would have what I needed in yeah. terms of sort of freedom. It's just that awful thing in the country, isn't there? You begin to panic. Yeah. Sort of just one more day looking out on those fields and you're just going <laughs> to... Yeah. I was reflecting on that the other day. I don't know if you, you had a similar experience, but um, I went to boarding school and then just didn't really... When I'd go home to North Yorkshire, I just didn't really know anyone. So um, my sort of best friend, really, was the fields and the trees. Right, right. And I loved it in a way, but um, it was also very lonely. Solitary and then suddenly too solitary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Solitary and then too North solitary. North Yorkshire, wow. And is your family still there? No, they moved down to London shortly after I did. Okay. So I came, I came here for uh, university, UCL. And um, in fact, moved after being in Halls of Residence for a short while, moved right into a flat, uh, like a house share in Highbury. All right. On Battledean Road. And, uh, oh, wow. And I lived on, uh, up in Archway when I first met my wife. And then on Baalbeck Road, just here, and now on, on the hill. And so now you've got a, did you say a studio or an office? Yeah, our office is on Corsica Street. Nice. Yeah, which is really lovely. We used to work in Oxford Circus, and then I just... Oh, bloody hell. I yeah. hated it, actually. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just, you can really get out of the habit of doing that, can't yeah. you? Yeah. 
You can. Is your work based at home or do you go into an office? Um, office no, I'm at The Guardian at King's Cross. You go in there? And I go in there. It's like the best commute of my career. Oh yeah, it's a dream, like isn't it? like 10 minutes on a bike, mm. downhill on mm. the way. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really great and it's a lovely office. Yeah. Because um, I worked in the old Guardian office in Farringdon Road, which was an absolute warren. Yeah. So this is very, have you been there? It's very... I, I've been there. I, I've been there for a couple of talks and things. Right, yeah. yeah. It's a very nice place to work. And the area has got so great now. The area is so amazing. I mean, my teenage kid going to school in Marlebon used to... Um, get off at the tube at King's Cross and come up and see me. And you'd think, my God, even five years ago, I would never have let a 13-year-old, you know, walk up through King's Cross. It's so different now. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? But it, it's got very fancy. And I guess it won't be long before the Guardian's priced out of the area, but we'll see. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> so tell me about your relationship to Islington then. When did that begin? Um, I've lived... I mean, I just lived very, very cheaply wherever I could. So I've kind of lived everywhere. Peckham, Acton, Archway, and then Stoke Newington, and then somewhere just off Holloway Road Yeah. for a while. So I kind of circled the area. And then I, uh, we were looking for a house sort of all over town when we got married. I had a place in Shepherd's Bush at that point. And my husband found this house that backed onto the old stadium and because there was some doubt about what was going to happen to the stadium at that stage so it's like you know, it's 20 years ago we could afford it you know because the the prices weren't too crazy at that time yeah. and i think they were held down by that uncertainty so yeah i mean i wasn't sure what i felt about living next to a stadium but because it was quite it was a bigger house than we could obviously afford yeah it it was great then we had what was it, two years of construction on the flats, which was pretty hideous. That must have been pretty painful. I mean, I wasn't at home in the day, but the days that I was, when they were digging out the uh, car park underneath the new flats, mm. you really thought your house was just going to oh, go. It was quite stressful. <laughs> they had some huge machine that would just go, Boom. and, uh, you know, the old Victorian walls, plasterboard would shake. Um, it's in its yeah. finished state, it's a pretty cool development. It is. I like it a it's lot. It's really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, a colleague of mine lives there. Kate's parents, obviously. It, it does look really nice. Definitely like what they did with it. And yeah. if they'd moved the football a little bit further, I'd be even happier. Are you Arsenal fans in your house? No. <laughs> I mean... No interest? Do you have children? Yes but neither of them have ever been even slightly interested in football. What are they into? Which is quite funny. Um, music, the older one, and fashion, and a bit music, the younger one. He's quite a good drummer, but that classic thing of if you kind of go, wow, you're quite good at this, they can sort of sense you getting all sort of twitchy. And, <laughs> oh, then wow. immediately they lose interest. Get a band, why aren't you? And, and so they're just like, ugh. You're turning it into your project. How old are they? 20 and 18 now. Okay. Are they with you at the moment? One, the younger one, is with us. Yeah. Who was working as a model. Okay. So all of that work has obviously disappeared. Kaputsky. Yeah. So he's actually doing incredibly well. He's just chilling. Oh, it's getting awfully busy. 
Like we can stand two meters apart on the poster. We could go somewhere else altogether. Do you ever walk down Gillespie Park or around that sort of way? There's never anyone there. What's your dog called? Edward. Edward. What's Edward into? He quite likes Gillespie. Is he all right? Do well, is he all right doing streets? Yeah, we could head down that way. We'll be better. I mean, streets will be yeah, much yeah. less full. I think it's true. He's fine. We were out on the heath at dawn this morning. Uh, we went up to hear the dawn chorus. Oh, lovely! Yeah, and our son came with us, which was we were amazed by. <laughs> Got out of bed. In fact, he slept on the sofa because he thought, if I don't go to bed, then it won't be so hard to get. You know what they're like. The rationale. Totally. But yeah, up at half past four. That's incredible. <laughs> My 13-year-old will definitely sleep until midday or one if he can. Yeah, it is amazing. It's amazing how their timetable just becomes completely unleashed from anything. I heard that there's been some quite good experiments about starting school later for teenagers and how it helps with their attention in class and it so It makes forth. total sense. I can't imagine why they haven't just adopted it. It's something to do with the way that it dovetails with people's working lives, I guess. But, but yeah, it does seem like a bummer. But who finishes work at half three? Anyway, you know, I, yeah, th I well, think... Yeah, well, true, yeah. I think, Calif uh, yeah, I think, in fact, California as a state has said that they'll be switching to school starting an hour later in two years' time or something. Wow. And they're just giving everyone a chance to sort of figure out what that means for them and stuff. Amazing. Yeah. So you've got a 13-year-old who's on 13-year-old time zone. Yeah. We've got that one and we have a nine-year-old as well, two boys. They're doing well. The 13-year-old's very sort of contained internal sort of person so he's it's, it's really sorting happy. the introverts from the yeah. rest of the us, younger one's it? much more social and i think misses his friends is delighted when he gets to talk to his friends on the computer when he sees them in real life a couple of times do you try and do sort of gate meetings? today or? was the first day that a friend of his you know for at least a couple of months came round and they sort of stood two meters apart in the garden kind of thing. Oh. Um, but it meant a lot to him, I think. He really enjoyed it. That's so sweet. Well, they're yeah. so stitched into each other at that age. I've got to say, nine was my absolutely favorite age. Oh, really? I mean, they're very nice now. Yeah. But when they were children, I think oh, there's God, something I... very particular about nine. It's just before all the it is. chaos. Yeah, they're, just, they're becoming self-aware, obviously, but like not so self-aware that they've lost that kind of lovely sheen of innocence. Yeah. And not so self-aware that they're totally embarrassed by your every yeah. breath. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's been interesting having a 13-year-old. I absolutely hated being 13. Mm, me too. It was, it was terrible. First year of boarding school, I just hated it. Mm. And um, it's definitely set off a lot of kind of alarms for me. Oh, really? Having a 13-year-old boy, yeah. But it's also, it doesn't make it any easier to manage them, does it? having been through I don't know does it uh, I suppose no, the only thing I mean, is if you remember that it was a difficult time yeah, to be it's about being patient I think yeah and about knowing that they are different from you <laughs> that's the hardest thing of all in a sense but you would know that better than me I guess you've you've actually been through that all those teenage years yeah yes yes there is that kind of well with my I was such a sweaty kid and mine really are not. You were really focused on your schoolwork. I mean, to this day, I'm not entirely sure whether it was because there was nothing else to do, mm. you know, in the middle of a field in Wiltshire, or whether I was so competitive I just had to get top marks, possibly a combination of the two. 
But my children just were not interested in that. And you just find yourself going, but, but how can you not care? <laughs> you know? Edward, come on, stop eating the grass. What's your relationship to their not caring? I used to find it incredibly frustrating, actually. Yeah. Um, but my husband is much more balanced person and he would say no was he driven academically no not at all right so yeah you just at a certain point you just have to recognize that they're their own people don't you yeah for sure that does seem to be the the trick and the more you see them as you know being you the bigger problems you're gonna have (laughs) (laughs) but especially it's quite tricky as well when they look like you as the younger one does or did yeah a bit confronted how can you be so not me <laughs> that's so funny yeah my my older son doesn't look like me at all really he looks exactly like his mum um which is lucky for him uh, the little one looks a bit more like me so where should we, should we go straight down yeah let's do that we can always sort of go more clistoldish or so how many of these interviews are you have you done so far uh, your six. walks interviews six i guess six but i want to just you know my dream is that they become a a chain like my hope is that you know you enjoy it enough that you can recommend someone else for me that lives in the neighborhood that i can go for a walk with it was quite funny i was thinking of people and i was thinking oh no he'll already know them (laughs) oh i don't mind that that's okay i sort of vaguely feel like it would be fun if it went woman man woman man woman man but um it's just a vague thought. I'm actually feeling, I don't know what, just a little bit sort of somber today. Probably not at my most uh, engaging. Is there something in the day that has made that happen or is it just how you woke I'm up? I'm feeling... Very weird not having... How I woke up a bit, yeah. A work situation to jolt you out of. Or do you go down to the office every day? No, I don't. I go to my... Um, I've got a shed at the back of the garden that I've sort of turned into a temporary office, which I'm, I love. Yeah, works good. But what what happens? I mean, you're a you're in music, aren't you? You're yeah, yeah I manage manage bands. I've um, well, there's no touring to be done. Yeah. obviously. has there been a lot involved in sort of stopping the touring? I mean, do you yeah, there was a whole there was a to sort of steal the the term. It was a whole triage phase where we had to you know reschedule tours, cancel dates, figure out insurance issues, communicate with fans. I mean, yeah, I mean that yeah. was painful. We're sort of pretty much through that now. Right. But um, I think like a lot of industries, we're in this place now of not really having any idea when things might return to anything like normal. So it is a bit of a fantasy to, to sort of be planning at the moment, especially with kind of a global tour. I mean, what does that mean? Who knows? But I'm sort of guessing that um, the live music business is going to be very, very... Uh, small fry next year and then we'll maybe start to bounce back again in 2022 properly do you think god that's so hard to even get your head around the idea that this time next year it wouldn't all be back to i don't normal. think so because there's just a lot of there are a lot of problems logistically there's problems with insurance and i think there's also just consumer confidence you know do people really want to do that do you know what i honestly think if people were told that all the restrictions were off, they would go back to normal in a, in a heartbeat. I yeah. honestly do. Yeah. I mean, people say that they wouldn't, but I really think everyone just will go back to normal. If you just look around today. Have you guys been able to 
find time in your work for more kind of philosophical conversations in this time? I imagine you've got a pretty brilliant collection of minds. I mean, yeah, we have. We've had some really good people. There's a, a psychologist, well, he's a psychotherapist, but called Gary Greenberg, who's based in New York, and he's a really brilliant writer. And he's just, he's written a couple of really good pieces for us about sort of the impact of all this psychologically. And there's another American, Rebecca Solnit, who she does nice sort of galvanizing pieces about why we should be hopeful. Right. How this is a great opportunity for change. And, you know, and it, it's great, but one can't help think that this is the triumph of hope over, over my natural pessimism. For sure. Oh, this way to Gillespie. I don't think you can take dogs in this way. Oh, can't you? Okay. But you can take them in the bottom way. Yeah, because when they turned it into a fabulous eco-park, they, um, they oh, shut yeah. dogs out. Okay. I think, you know, it depends on how long a view you have, maybe. It's true. We've also got a piece I'm really excited about, which is about the future of tourism. Right. And looking at whether this break will give us the opportunity to rethink the way we do it. And all the so many places that are completely, really wrecked by over-tourism. I mean, people's ability to afford it and their willingness to do it, I guess all of that impacts the cost of tourism as well, wouldn't it? When it become very expensive to get a plane flight somewhere. Well, people have had quite good ideas about saying, this is what they cost and you're only allowed three a year. Right. And so even if you've got a gazillion pounds, you're only flying three times a year. And that makes you think, oh, actually, that could work. You know, so you can get your 30 pound flight to you know, Marbella or whatever, mm. or you can get your £2,000 flight to Sydney, but you can only do it three times. And that sort of thing, just bringing it down. That kind of thinking and whether, you know, that sort of think tank thinking actually being applied to real kind of business practices or government policy would be really cool. One of the things I've felt like, <laughs> I keep hearing people saying, you know, oh, I wonder if anything will really change. I keep thinking, well, what do you think? Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. what's your answer to that question? How are you going to change? It's true, but there are just horrible realities that you run into, such as thinking about, you know, okay, great, cruise, the whole cruise industry will just finish. It'll just end. You know, nobody's going to want to go back on a cruise ship. But they're already offering people incredibly cheap tickets to the next, Yeah. you know, multi-thousand room cruise plus the owner of Carnival which is the biggest cruise company is one of Trump's backers so there's that sort of thing you think oh god it's just too entrenched I mean you've got to hope that you know that if we can look back on this period in sort of 30 years time that it will be the kind of last dying cough of that that generation's unfettered capitalism. Yeah, and a sense of... Yeah, there was some old Tory on the radio this morning saying, well, you've just simply got to get people, encourage people to consume more, and you've just got to get people buying more stuff. You're like, really? You're still coming, you know, harping on with the story? Thank you. Still on that tip. Still on that. You know, surely the record's changed. So that's quite shocking. You know, I mean, I guess it's the old dinosaur and maybe people listening to him were thinking, ah, you old dinosaur. Well, there is something about the 
the sort of movement of the generations that has an impact whether you like it or not you know and that the baby boomer generation is just not really going to be around much longer it's true i sort of think of them much as i love my mum and dad but i i think of them as being the kind of the the most selfish generation there's ever been yeah it's true but also when you look at um we ran a piece about air conditioning the story of air conditioning yeah and in the i'm going to get this wrong but let's say 50s and 60s in america Builders were very much encouraged to create buildings that used as much energy as possible. You know, so that was the generation that grew up. You know, it was, I mean, obviously it's still going on in Saudi, but, and, you know, the conspicuous consumption, but the ravenous consumption of energy, even if it wasn't greed, it was, it was sort of motif of those times. I guess the 50s kind of started that off, didn't it? That feeling that anything was, that, you know, everything was limitless. But also the sense that you've got to, you know, everybody's going to be spending and consuming to get yeah. the economy going, to yeah. get us all back on our feet. Yeah. So I was reading a book, uh, yeah. just a f- sort of fun novel that my cousin recommended to me, something that would, you know, just be a bit escapist and silly. That's our house with the messy, oh, which one are you? messy head. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. That's set in the 80s and was written in the 80s. And I'm like, oh my God, it's just unbelievable to see how the world was viewed through, you know, before political correctness, before, you know, when, when sort of greed was so celebrated. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but like with no irony, it's like, yeah, of course. And it really like rung, a, you know, really struck a chord for me because that's, you know, that was my childhood it was in the 80s, especially going to America and all that kind of flashy Trumpish stuff is very familiar to me. It right. reminds me of my childhood, kind of gold, golden hotels. And, yeah, yeah. You know, all that sort of stuff. It's quite interesting because the fashion I and mean, the fashion sort of cycle in a madly speeded up way through the generations. But last year or the year before was back to the 80s and the 80s yeah. is back but it's not a coincidence that is it it's the no. mindset as well well i think yeah isn't it it's sort of a, a 20 or 25 year cycle or something people sort of young teenagers delve into their parents record collections and find some yeah. of the bits that they think are cool and then recycle them do your kids like the same records you do on a lighter note <laughs> <laughs> not really Maybe. Here's someone you could interview. Okay, great. Walk with. I'm going to, shall I introduce you? Yeah, do. Tom. This is Adam, who lives higher up the street. This is Tom. This is Oliver. Hi, Tom. Oliver. How are you doing? Hi, Oliver. Um, Adam's doing the, what do you call it, a project? Walking around yeah. the neighbourhood with neighbours during lockdown. I'm meeting neighbours for the first time. I live at 32. Just to be sociable. Yeah, but I'm recording the conversations because I thought it might be interesting as a little personal project. I started with my next door neighbour, George, and he introduced me to Kate, who introduced me to Charlie, who introduced me to you. And uh, And now I'm introducing you. (laughs) So, we... It's It's fun, it's nice. I've felt for ages, it's quite a strange, like the road itself, like the actual kind of geography of the road makes it hard for it to feel like a neighborhood because it's so long and it's well once you're across Albert Park <laughs> oh it gets gets more neighborly down here it's not really it's sort of got a segment yeah it's a bit segmented maybe yeah we used to live on Baalbek Road and that whole sort of area there around Corsica Street and Gallia Road and Calabria 
is like very much a neighborhood. Right. Everybody knows each other and we felt like, you know, people constantly be kind of knocking on our door and saying hi and stuff. That's nice. Yeah, it's really nice. This doesn't, where we are now, uh, up Highbury Hill a bit, it's, yeah, it's felt a bit harder to get to know the neighbors. So I thought I'd be proactive about it. Very good. So anyhow, we're going to keep... Where do you keep, live, we'll Tom? 115. 115. 115, just a little bit further up, um, past Claire and Adrian's They've house. been putting us all to shame. They've made a beautiful little video, little film, starring the entire family. Lovely. It's very Lovely. good. Very good. All of the, oh, all good. of lockdown. Anyway, Very I'll, nice. um... Well, nice to meet you. If you fancy a walk and talk sometime, no pressure at all. Let me know. Be nice. Right. It's very cute, the film. So this is the little entrance to... Okay. I don't think I know about this entrance. I guess the thing I'm feeling uh, somber about is a kind of, a sort of tragic thing that's happened in the last couple of days. Maybe it's easiest if I just tell you so that it's not like this weird thing, but, um... Yeah, friends of mine uh, in Nashville were uh, out walking in a storm and a tree fell on them and uh, the guy Jeff and his son were both really really badly injured and uh, the son still you know is, is in an induced coma and still hasn't woken up. Oh Jesus. The dad's had um, you know had to have his spine reassembled I don't you know I don't know what's going they on. They were walking? Yeah just out for a walk in the woods. They were actually they were sheltering under a tree in the storm. Oh my yeah. God, it's kind of horrendous. Awful. So the sun, you just don't know whether he's... The sun's little, you know, he's only like uh, two. Oh God, unbearable. So, yeah. Wow, this is cool. God, poor you, when did you hear about it? I heard about it a couple of days ago, but it's, it's, uh, it's been, you know, it's just been in my mind. Oh, it's <laughs> just one of those things you think, why am I feeling so yeah, weird? And then exactly. You think, oh, yeah, I remember now. Exactly. I'm waiting to hear some good news about the kid and then right. I'll feel better about right, it. Right, yeah. But also, when stuff is happening, like I've got two or three friends I heard about today whose parents have been either taken desperately ill, yeah, not through, not with COVID, but right, or died. And you just think, God, it's just sort of, I guess with the oldies. Well, I think there's a... It's going to happen. There's a sort of baseline of, of anxiety relating to the crisis that we're in. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and, and so anything that gets put on top of that seems maybe even more amplified than normal. It's true, and I think it, it takes you right off kilter. And that's probably why the writers that we work with, oh, they seem to have closed it. The writers that we work with that can somehow drag some optimistic kind mm. of moment for change yeah. kind of theme yeah. are really appreciated. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I enjoy those, I personally enjoy those optimistic conversations as well. I mean, I, I don't see, you know. These dogs look like they mean business. We might beat a hasty retreat. Okay. Yeah, that's been a sort of weird feeling that you're sort of not allowed to enjoy yourself or you're not allowed to have a positive conversation or something. That we should all be sort of, come on. You know, that there has to be a kind of solidarity with people who are in a worse position. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, the reality is that if you took a snapshot of any day you've been alive, billions of people are in a worse position no, than you. So. And there was that awful th moment, I sort of, I got, fell prey to this a bit early on, of kind of, but what's gonna happen in refugee camps? Yeah. People going, 
what? It's happening down the road, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it, it's just very hard to get a grip, you know? Lovely day, we're on the heath, yeah. and the dawn chorus, yeah. and the sunrise, yeah. and you have to remember. I suppose I have had a guilty feeling about it. You remember that the only reason you're having this lovely walk in the early morning is because you don't have to go to work. <laughs> well, that's something to hold on to. <sighs> I know. What are your normal sort of hours then with your work? Sort of 10 till 7. Right. And what are you doing in your day? Now or, or under, in a normal day? Well, I was thinking in a normal day. Mainly grappling with big 5,000 word pieces of long form journalism that are very intensively edited. Are you sort of as it were commissioning people to write on a particular subject? Yeah. Right and then you're seeing what they come up with and... Um, well because the pieces are quite sort of substantial. Yeah the long reads. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We um, kind of go through as much as possible in advance so you have the conversation you have two or three conversations then you get them to do a really detailed outline and then maybe go back and forth a couple of times over the outline so by the time the draft comes in hopefully you know the shape of it what do you think about this sort of um disinterest in more long-form journalism well, i love it <laughs> absolutely love it my absolute favourite job. I've been working in journalism for 30 years, I guess. And it's just great. You must have a, a, a great sort of capacity to be able to really concentrate yourself. Because as a reader, you know, I love a long form thing too. But as a reader, you know, it's probably that much less demanding than it would be for you as a commissioner or an editor. Yeah, I mean, I sort of, I, I was working with somebody who is incredibly clever and he he really has a brilliant sense of how a piece should be and how it should shape up and what it needs but it could take him kind of three weeks to get the momentum going mm. to read it and when he read it it's like 20 minutes bish bash bosh he's totally figured it out mm. thing that you've been trying to work out for three days but it was like he had to take this huge psychological run-up it was just amazing. That's interesting. And I think it's the same. You can sort of fiddle away and not be able to get your mind around something. And then maybe even sitting at the kitchen table late at night, you can finally... Yeah, it clicks in. ...get it. But it is hard. I find it very hard, and particularly now. Yeah, concentration is difficult. Um, and they are very... They are very labour-intensive things. Yeah, I bet. So actually, our sort of day-to-day -day rhythm hasn't really changed. You know, you're still there, wherever yeah. you are. You're just there, kind of <laughs> grappling. So I guess, what's the benefit of being in an office for you, do you think? It's very important to be considered part of the whole production. You can get any bit of the paper can get and can feel very sidelined. Right. So you really need to... I mean, you've got, with the website, you know, you've got people who are choosing what's being promoted at the top, you know, and they've got a million pieces coming through their hands. So you sort of need to go up, <laughs> make sure that they've seen your piece and know how great it is and how important. 
there's a certain amount of doing and that needs to be done in person yeah. yeah that's interesting and you know we do we do audio long reads we do there's a podcast so there are various things that you just need to be present but hopefully maybe we don't need to be there so much yeah, yeah. we just don't you can get very uh you know you can get very tied to a desk for no reason what about you you're traveling a lot so you probably don't get i've got to assume that the sort of whatever version that we used to have of the kind of two-hour meeting in milan is like why would anyone do that anymore? that's what i'm like that's one thing that might change mightn't it in terms yeah. of the flying and that's, the business uh, well travel. no i think it's going to change a ton yeah yeah i think all uh, you know i think a bunch of that business travel would drop off yeah because it's been proven to not be needed yeah yeah um, yeah and and then you can also pat yourself on the back that you've saved some money and that yeah. you've helped the environment. Yeah. So I, yeah, I feel like that would have to change. You know, one thing that that I've really noticed being in the music business is that as kind of useful as the technology is, it's still pretty crap. <laughs> it's just not that good. You know, it's constantly like people dropping out, freezing. The audio quality is rubbish. Yeah. Like if you want to try and play music over stuff. Oh my god! Right. It's terrible. It? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ad it's adequate, but it's not good. So I think there's going to be a, a technological revolution in all of this stuff. Huh. That's I interesting. Think, I, I think people will see this and they'll be like, "Oh no, we should be able." You know, this whole 5G cons conspiracy nonsense will quickly disappear when people realize that they can kind of stream cinema quality stuff at home yeah yeah you know from someone else's i think that's going to be oh, a, that's a, real a game really changer. good oh that's really interesting though so you could be listening to better quality stuff having conversations that weren't yeah, the, freezing the quality of home broadcast is so bad yeah and i think we sort of forgive it if it's just a zoom meeting but to me even the zoom meetings are pretty rubbish you know, another thing that's a real issue is that you're never actually looking anyone in the eye yeah. on those screens. You're looking at yes. Yeah, you're looking at this weird. It's a very weird experience. It's true, but also there's a terrible thing that lots of people have mentioned. So I don't feel totally vain mentioning it. Is that it's very hard not to look at yourself and be yeah. worrying about you know. Of course. How grim and frowny you look. Well, there's a of course there's now a developing a whole kind of. Um, set of protocols around it like the kids my kids they just switch their cameras on and off the whole time there's no there's no sense of like it's impolite to, to turn my camera off no it's just like i'm going to go and do something now i don't particularly want to have a camera on they just switch it off okay mid-conversation mid and then they switch it back on i again. had heard a very funny thing which is that kids doing uh, schoolwork or a zoom class yeah are like pretending that it's <laughs> it's frozen. And then somebody walks past. <laughs> That's good. They were given instructions that they weren't supposed to sort of reveal any personal details in the background kind right. of thing. Right. Which is a bit weird. I don't know. Quite difficult to do. Yeah. I don't I know what that means exactly. I've self-consciously moved my pictures around. You have? Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. So that, you know. To create the ideal backdrop. <laughs> I've got this thing that I'm doing. You know, I assume you've tried virtual backgrounds on, on Zoom. I haven't actually got around to that. I haven't really been doing that many meetings. I got, I got this thing that if you're on a big Zoom and you want to leave, but you don't want to have to interrupt the conversation, so you know, it's like 10 or more people, 
I've created a virtual background that just says, gotta go. <laughs> and I just stick that ah, on. Brilliant. And then, and then just leave. Oh, that's great. Yes, because otherwise it gets really awkward. It's like, oh. okay, I've got to go now. All right, okay. But you know, all of this stuff will change, won't it? It's so interesting. Applying the, the kind of 20th century protocols to 21st century communication is going to seem more and more ridiculous, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing how crap it is, actually, you're right. But also, people just get on with it and get used to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, they do. So that's another mad thing. Yeah, we are very adaptable, aren't we? So. Dog world is so mad. It's so to different. me, it's like, why is she apologising? Yeah. What am I missing there? Bad mannered dog, baring its teeth. But that's her dog. It's not her. Does the dog reflect on her? Is that? Of course, like your kids. So she's thinking to herself, like somewhere in her mind, she's like, oh god, they're going to think I haven't trained my dog well enough. You know, all that sort of thing. I mean, at some level, yeah. 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 I mean, if my dog growls or is hostile to another dog. I am quite mortified. Are you? If their dog is just like... Aren't they supposed to be sort of aggressive with each other though? I mean, probably, but we've over-anthropomorphized or whatever the word <laughs> yeah. is. Anthropomorphologized. Yeah. I mean, they're not... So, if you've trained your dog, it shouldn't be aggressive to another dog. Right. right. Thanks. Thank you. It has been very interesting, the whole street uh, language, hasn't it? I found yeah. myself, there's a little pinch point before you get to Clissold Park where runners come through and I found myself doing this. <laughs> Did I really do that? But I mean, that's, you know, I think understanding sort of social mores in different countries and seeing how that has impacted people's, you know, practices when it comes, I mean, I know this is incredibly obvious, but like British, we're so afraid of sort of stepping out from you know, the most polite and kind of forgiving form of, of behaviour, of social interaction, that, you know, to say to someone who's like running towards you, sweating and coughing, please, could you stop, yeah. feels like, oh, I shouldn't do that, you know. And yet, of course you should. Like, there's no, there's no... Well, I was, I was sort of shocked at myself the first time I did it, but then you think, well, yeah. Yeah, totally. It's fair enough. We do find it hard to, in a, weird, or in a weird way, to stick up for ourselves, I think, sometimes, yeah. British people. Yeah, but also it's quite interesting. Do you remember when the whole thing broke out in Italy and there were so many people getting ill? And everyone was like, oh, those Italians just kiss each other all the time. Yeah. All kind of really overlarding on the sort yeah. of patronising yeah. stereotype. I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm, I'm really fascinated in, you know, as we're trying to figure out what... Uh, what Britain's to be, because I don't think it really knows what it is at the moment. Yeah. I think part of that is understanding what other people think we are. It's quite intriguing. I wonder what Italians were saying about us while we were accusing them of being too physically friendly with each other. Well, it's quite... Yes. I guess my friend, who's one of our writers, was, was very defensive about it and saying, you know, you're all being so patronising about the eye times. But the fact is that probably the older generation in Italy were simply not interested in lockdown as a concept. 
Right. You know. Yeah. Like a lot of Americans. Yeah. The ones who are taking their guns to the state capital of where is yeah. it? Minnesota or somewhere. Yeah. And you just you just cannot Michigan. believe what you're seeing. But that is it's a very deep part of who they are. But yeah, I don't know. It, that I mean actually I think this is all very interesting for Britain. I think you're right. It's a it's a real shift. Yeah. Just having a sense of who's doing what jobs. Yeah. Who they are and what their living conditions are. Yeah. Taking a sort of dispassionate, like philosophical view of the whole thing and being intrigued by it feels sort of quite callous in one way, but it is interesting. It is. And also, you know, I mean, we're going to be pouring over the data for years. Yeah. You know, why so many more black people? Why so many more yeah. black doctors? Why so many more, you know?